0: Section 3 of Eleven Possible Cases by Various. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. Eleven Possible Cases by Various. The Only Girl at Overlook by Franklin Files. Chapter 3 the first man to go to work at overlook in the morning was jim wilson because he had to rouse the fire under a boiler early enough to provide steam for a score of rock drills the night watchman awakened him at daybreak according to custom and then got into a bunk as the other got out of one everything all right jim asked i guess so the other replied but i hain't seen your boiler since before midnight eph was disturbing mary might so I hung round her cabin pretty much the last half of the night. Jim went to his post at the boiler, and at an unaccustomed pace, from the point where he first saw and heard steam hissing upward from the safety valve. On quitting the night previous, he had banked the fire as usual, and this morning he should have found it burning so slowly that an hour of raking, replenishing, and open draughts would no more than start the machinery at seven o'clock. Going nearer, he found that open dampers and a fresh supply of coal had set the furnace raging. What was that which protruded from the open door and so nearly filled the aperture that the draught was not impaired? A glance gave the answer. It was the legs and half the body of a man, whose head and shoulders were thoroughly charred, as Jim was horrified to see when he pulled the remains out upon the ground jim ran to tell the superintendent and within a few minutes a knot of excited men surrounded the body the gathering grew in numbers rapidly by means of the clothing the dead and partially burned man was identified at once as tonio ravelli that he had been murdered was an equally easy conclusion the murderer had apparently sought to cremate the corpse whether he had found it physically impossible or had been frightened away could only be conjectured who can have done it was the question asked by superintendent brainerd the autocrat of overlook there was a minute of silence with all staring intently at the body as though half expecting it to somehow disclose the truth the night watchman was first to speak f might have done it he said then he told of the monomaniac's visit to the telegraph station and of the acute stage which his malady had reached. Nobody else present had seen him the previous evening. Superintendent Brainerd ordered a search of the lodgings. Ten minutes were sufficient for a round of the different quarters. F. was in none of them. The searchers returned to the furnace, and with them came Gerald Heath. "'I met F. yonder, where the paths cross, not a hundred yards from here a little past midnight,' Gerald said." he was terribly excited that was after he had tried in vain to telegraph a crazy message evidently his delusion that his whole life was condensed into a brief space had driven him to a frenzy he spoke of walking to dimmersville but i tried to quiet him and he disappeared dimmersville was a town about ten miles distant in a direction opposite to that which the railroad had worked its way through the mountains no wire connected it with overlook and there was no public road for the nearest third of the way although a faint trail showed the course that a few persons had taken on foot or horseback very likely eph has gone toward dimmersville Brainerd argued and we must try to catch him before the order could be specifically given a horse and rider arose over the edge of the level ground and came into the midst of the assemblage the man in the saddle had a professional aspect imparted chiefly by his smoothly shaven face in this era of moustaches a hairless visage is apt to be assigned to a clergyman who shaves thus from a motive of propriety an actor who does it from necessity or somebody who aims at facial distinction without the features suitable to that purpose a countenance of which it can only be said that it has one nose one mouth and two eyes all placed in expressive nonentity and which is dominated utterly by hair on and around it may be less lost to individuality if entirely shaven of such seemed the visage of the dark man who calmly rode into the excitement at overlook which way have you come reynard asked from dimmersville was the reply did you see anybody on the way i started very early folks were not out of their beds in the houses as long as there were any houses, and that is only five or six miles, you know. And that—yes, I did see one man, a curiously excited chap. He looked tired out. He asked the distance to Dimmersville and whether the telegraph office would be open by the time he got there. Then he'd scurried on before I'd half-answered him. All that was known of the murder was told to the stranger by half a dozen glib tongues, and it was explained to him that he had encountered the maniacal fugitive i knew there was something wrong about him said the stranger it is my business to be observant he dismounted and hitched his horse to a tree the dead body was shown to him he examined it very thoroughly all the particulars were related to him over and over then he drew superintendent Brainerd aside my name is terence o'reagan he said and in his voice was faintly distinguishable the brogue of the land whence the Aragans came. "'I am a government detective. I have been sent to work up evidence in the case of some Italian counterfeiters. We had a clue pointing to a subcontractor here, the very man who lies there dead. Our information was that he used some of the bogus bills in paying off his gang. Now it isn't going outside my mission to investigate his death, if you don't object.' "'I would be glad to have you take hold of it,' Brainerd replied. "'We can't bring the authorities here before noon at the earliest, "'and in the meantime you can perhaps clear it all up.' The eagerly curious men had crowded close to this brief dialogue, and had heard the latter part of it. O'Reagan became instantly an important personage, upon whose smallest word or movement they hung expectantly, and nobody showed a keener interest than Gerald Heath the detective first examined the body the pockets of Ravelli's clothes contained a wallet with its money untouched beside a gold watch so robbery was not the object said o'reagan to brainerd the motive is the first thing to look for in a case of murder next he found blood on the waistcoat a great deal of it but dried by the fire that had burned the shoulders and head and in the baked cloth were three cuts under which he exposed three stab wounds strokes of a knife had it seemed killed the victim before he was thrust partially into the furnace a storm was coming to overlook unperceived for the men were too much engrossed in what lay there on the ground ghastly and horrible to pay any attention to the clouding sky gloom was so fit for the scene too that nobody gave a thought from whence it came to Gerald Heath, the going out of sunlight and the settling down of dusky shadows seemed a mental experience of his own. He stood bewildered, transfixed, vaguely conscious of peril, and yet too numb to speak or stir. Detective O'Regan, straightening up from over the body, looked piercingly at Gerald, and then glanced around at the rest. Is there anybody here who saw Tonio Ravelli last night? he asked. "'I did,' Gerald replied. "'Where and when? At the same place where I met F. and immediately afterward. "'Ah! Now we are locating F. and Ravelli together. "'That looks like the lunatic being undoubtedly the stabber.' "'And we must catch him,' Brainerd interposed. "'I'll send riders toward Dimmersville immediately.' "'No great hurry about that,' the detective remarked. He is too crazy to have had any clear motive or any idea of escape. It will be easy enough to capture him. Then he turned to Gerald and questioned with the air of a cross-examiner: Did the two men have any words together? No, was the ready answer. I don't know that they even saw each other at that time. F went away an instant before Ravelli came. Did you talk with Ravelli? Yes. What about? not about f at all about what then now the reply came reluctantly a personal matter something that had occurred between us an incident at the telegraph station the station where f had awakened the girl operator was it a quarrel about her that is no concern of yours you are impertinent well sir the question is pertinent as the lawyers say and the answer concerns you whether it does me or not you and ravelli quarrelled about the girl the young lady shall not be dragged into this she wasn't responsible for what happened between ravelli and me what did happen between you and ravelli the two men stood close to and facing each other the eyes of the detective glared gloatingly at an upward angle into the pale but still firm face of the taller gerald and then dropped slowly until they became fixed on a red stain on the sleeve of the other's coat did he possess the animal scent of a bloodhound what is that he sharply asked he seized the arm and smelled of the spotted fabric it is blood let me see your knife quite mechanically gerald thrust one hand into his trousers pocket and brought out the knife which he had taken back from ravelli whose blood was on it yet the storm was overhead a first peal of thunder broke loudly it came at the same instant of the assemblage's tensest interest at the instant when gerald heath was aghast with the revelation of his awful jeopardy at the instant of his exposure as a murderer it impressed them and him with a shock of something supernatural the reverberation rumbled into silence which was broken by O'Regan. "'There'll be no need to catch F,' he said, in a tone of professional glee. "'This man is the murderer.' Again thunder rolled and rumbled angrily above Overlook, and the party stood aghast in the presence of the man dead and the man condemned. "'Bring him to the telegraph station,' O'Reagan commanded. Nobody disputed the detective's methods now, not even Gerald and a prisoner as completely as though manacled, although not touched by any one, he went with the rest. Mary Warriner had taken down the tarpaulin in front of her shed when the men approached. In the ordinary course of her early morning doings, she would wait an hour to dispatch and receive the first telegrams of the day, and then go to breakfast alone at the table where the engineers and overseers would by that time have had their meal. She was astonished to see nearly the whole population of Overlook crowd around her quarters, while a few entered. But she went quickly behind the desk and took her place on the stool. The soberness of the faces impressed her, but nothing indicated that Gerald was in custody, and her quick thought was that some disaster made it necessary to use the wire importantly. "'I wish to send a message,' said O'Regan, stepping forward. The eyes of the girl rested on him inquiringly, and he palpably flinched, but as obviously nerved himself to proceed, and when he spoke again the Irish accent became more pronounced to hear, although not sufficiently to be shown in the printed words. I will dictate it slowly, so that you can transmit it as I speak. Are you ready? Mary's fingers were on the key, and her bright, alert face was in answer to the query. To Henry Deckerman, President the detective slowly said, waiting for the clicks of the instrument to put his language on the wire. "'Tonio Ravelli, a subcontractor here, was murdered last night.' Mary's hand slid away from the key after sending that, and the always faint tint in her cheeks faded out, and her eyes flickered up in a scared way to the stern faces in front of her. The shock of the news that a man had been slain— and that he was a man who, only the previous day, had proffered his love to her, was, for a moment, disabling. But the habit of her employment controlled her, and she awaited the further dictation. "'His body was found this morning in the furnace of the steam-boiler,' O'Regan resumed deliberately, where it had evidently been placed in a vain attempt to destroy it. A shudder went through Mary, and she convulsively wrung her small hands together, as though to limber them from a cramp. But her fingers went back to the key. "'The murderer has been discovered,' the detective slowly continued, and the operator kept along with his utterance, word by word. "'He killed Ravelli for revenge. It was a love affair.' Here the girl grew whiter still, and the clicks became very slow but they did not cease o'reagan's voice was cold and ruthless the motive of the murderer was revenge his name is gerald heath all but the name flashed off the wire mary warriner's power to stir the key stopped at that she did not faint she did not make any outcry for a moment she looked as though the soul had gone out of her body leaving a corpse sitting there a grievous wail of wind came through the trees and a streak of lightning zigzagged down the blue clouded sky go on said O'Reagan. i will not was the determined response why not because it is not so gerald heath never murdered Ravelli gerald had stood motionless and silent now he gave way to an impulse as remarkable as his previous composure had been singular if there had been stagnation in his mind it was now displaced by turbulence he grasped mary's hands in a fervid grip then dropped them and faced the others i did not kill the italian he said he attacked me with my knife which he had stolen in the struggle his hand was cut but i took the weapon away from him he quitted me alive and unhurt i never saw him again you don't believe it mary does and that is and that is more than all else the circumstances don't favour you the the detective retorted they convict you you killed ravelli because you and he were both in love with this young lady Isn't it the rejected suitor who kills the other one for spite? Isn't it the rejected suitor who kills the other one for spite? This was in Mary Warriner's voice, weak but still steady. Ravelli loved me, I knew, and I drove him away. Mr. Heath loved me, I believed, and I had not repulsed him. If I were the cause of a murder between them, it should be Ravelli who killed Gerald. You detested Ravelli? O'Reagan asked with a strange bitterness yes and you love heath the answer was no more hesitant than before yes send the rest of my message and the detective was boisterous send the name gerald heath is the murderer he roughly seized her hand and clapped it on the key she drew it away leaving his there a blinding flash of lightning illumined the place and what looked like a missile of fire flew down the wire to the instrument, where it exploded. O'Reagan fell insensible from the powerful electric shock. The rest did not altogether escape, and for a minute all were dazed. The first thing that they fully comprehended was that O'Regan was getting, sted- was getting unsteadily to his feet. He was bewildered. Staggering and reeling, he began to talk mary was first to perceive the import of his utterance he was merely going on with what he had been saying but the manner not the matter was astounding he spoke with an italian accent and made italian gestures you are send the message he said he thee ze murderer send us the message i say tonio Ravelli had unwittingly resumed his italian style of english his plenitude of hair and whiskers was gone, and in the face, thereby uncovered, nobody could have recognised him in Detective O'Regan but for his lapse into the foreign accent. And he said so much, before discovering his blunder, that his identification as, indeed, Rivelli, was complete. Who, then, was the dead man? Why, he was F. Nothing but the fear of being himself condemned as a murderer of the maniac, as a part of the scheme of revenge against Gerald, induced Ravelli to explain. He had found F. lying dead in the path after both had parted from Gerald. The plot to exchange clothes with the corpse, drag it to the furnace, burn away all possibility of recognition, and thus make it seem to be his murdered self, was carried out with all the hot haste of a jealous vengeance. Ravelli was not an Italian, although very familiar with the language of Italy, and able, by a natural gift of mimicry, to hide himself from pursuit for a previous crime. Overlook had been a refuge until his passion for Mary Warriner led him to abandon his disguise. Thereupon he had turned himself into Terence O'Regan, a detective, whose malicious work wrought happiness for Gerald Heath and Mary Warriner. End of section 3